Okay, we are holding in Tanya, and we're going through the Prokim. We are holding by Perik Yud by chapter 10. We had a few weeks break. We did uh, Basiligani, and we had another week uh, break. So we're back at it. And let's uh, do a very, very quick recap we were holding in the general Tanya picture. So, um, in the beginning of Tanya, chapter 1, we learned about the two souls, that there's a godly soul and there's an animal soul that make up who we are. Um, the next many chapters, we're discussing each soul individually. We went through chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, that were dealing with the godly soul, the nefesh alikis. We talked about the... Um, the uh, soul, the, es- the essence of the soul, the build of the soul, the soul powers, the garments of the soul, of the godly soul, and the mitzvahs, the Torah that it performs, all that was in those four prakim of Bez, Gimel, Dalit, and Hay. And then the next three chapters, Vav, Zion, and Ches, ch- chapter 6, 7, and 8, we're discussing the animal soul and various forms of klipa and non-holiness in this world and different types of unholy behaviors, that which is forbidden and that which is permissible but not done l'shem shamayim, that which is tied down, that which, which can be brought up. We talk about different levels of tshuva. All that was in those three brachim of Vav, Zion, and Ches, um, 6, 7, and 8. Chapter 9, which is the last one we learned, I think it was three weeks ago, talked about the battle of those two souls. Um, because So after we described each soul in detail, and how one stands for godliness and selflessness and holiness, and one stands for self-centeredness, um, that which is not holy. So really, both of the, those souls reside in our body. And each one wants one thing, that it should be in control. The godly soul wants to be in total control, and that our minds and our hearts and our eyes and our hands and our legs and everything should be um, subservient to its desire and its direction. That's what the godly soul wants every day. The animal soul wants exactly the opposite. It wants that it should have full control and dominion or in the body of a person and all the faculties of a person, the soul powers and the garments and so on and so forth. And that's the, um, the battle of the godly versus the animal soul, the nefesh or the kiss versus the nefesh of Bahamas, that most people will feel throughout their lives. That's the struggle of the two souls. Um, and that brings us to where we are. So, today's chapter that we're focusing on is going to be a very unique one, a very interesting one, and somewhat, it might sound a little bit abstract, because today's chapter is devoted to the tzaddik and the tzaddikim of the world. Now, it's, which is interesting because primarily, Tanya, as we said right in the beginning, is called the book of the Benini, the book of the, the average person, the person who's meant to struggle, um, and that's what the vast majority of Tanya is going to be about. But after we discussed the build of soul A and the build of soul B and the struggle of the souls. So then he discusses the, today's chapter, chapter um, 10, deals with the one who wins the struggle totally. And that's the tzaddik. The tzaddik is the one who, though was born with a godly soul and animal soul and had that struggle, is able to totally vanquish the animal soul, as we will see. So today's chapter is devoted entirely to the tzaddik. If, uh, if Tanya chapters would have titles then today's t- chapter would be the chapter of the tzaddik, I think. Um, next week, or next chapter, is the chapter devoted to the Russia, <laughs> to the one who totally loses the battle. And then from there onward, the entire Tanya is devoted to the Benini, the person who struggles. The person who's not a total tzaddik and not a total Russia, the vast, vast majority of people who spend their life in the seesaw of godly soul, animal soul, godly feelings, um, animal feelings, 
a selfless, selfish, you know, the seesaw of life. So that's the vast majority. But before we jump into the, the Benuni, we have these two chapters that are devoted to the tzaddik, the extreme winner of the battle, and the Russia, the loser of the battle. That's the next two chapters. Okay, so that's the introduction. I'm sorry? Okay, let's try to mute that again. Mute. No problem. Mute all. Okay. Um, so, that is the, the uh, introduction to chapter 10 of Tanya. So, in order to, to understand that, even though we talk about the tzaddik as the one who is uh, totally vanquished and conquered the animal soul and lives a life of total holiness, and again, there's going to be very, very few tzaddikim that we know or that, that exist, because the world is not made up of tzaddikim, it's made up of regular people. But, Within tzaddik itself, we'll see there are numerous levels, right? Nothing is simple. Even the tzaddik, there's different types of tzaddikim and different levels of tzaddikim. Really, going back to the very first chapter of Tanya, when he was giving us different statements from the Gemara, he mentioned that there's a tzaddik vitovlo and a tzaddik viralo, which literally reads, a tzaddik and good to him and a tzaddik and bad to him. What does that mean? And he said right there in that um, first chapter, it's tzaddik gomor with tzaddik she'eno gomor. The complete tzaddik, the perfect tzaddik, versus the incomplete tzaddik. And to understand what that incomplete tzaddik is, he brought from the teaching of the Raya Mehemna, which is part of the Zohar, which says that the tzaddik viralo, the incomplete tzaddik, is one, sheharashebo kafuf letov, that the negative side within that person is totally subservient to the positive. So what does that mean? So in this chapter is where he jumps into it. And he says the following. He says, to understand the tzaddik gomor, the perfect tzaddik, the complete tzaddik, that's one who there's nothing left whatsoever unholy within this person. Uh, that spirit of klipa, that spirit of, uh, we had different words for klipa, the unholiness, the shell, the sitra achra, the other side, has been totally 100% transformed to the positive. So that that animal soul that this tzaddik was born with, Right, from a Tanya perspective, the tzaddik is also born with an animal soul. But that animal soul has been totally 100% transformed so that now there's only Kedusha within the tzaddik. That's the, that's the um, sign or the symbol or the staple of the, of the perfect tzaddik. Um, the tzaddik she'ino gomer, the tzaddik, the imperfect tzaddik, means that there is still some trace of unholiness there, but it's not felt at all. It's totally subservient, it's totally bottled, it's totally nullified in the face of holiness. Because the holiness has been so powerful that it's, it is totally nullified. It. But I want to um, say something, I want to explain something that I should have said in the introduction. What's the basic difference, the rule of thumb, between Sadiq versus Benini? The very basic difference. The Benini, which is the average person, and the Sadiq, which is that perfect holy person. The basic difference is internal feelings. Right? When it comes to, act, to action, the Benini does it all. The Benini, the, the regular person, struggles every day and wins every struggle and always does the right thing. The Benini does every misfit right and doesn't do any avarice. They, they're always on their game. Benini are wonderful people. Right? Most times if we'll see a Benini, we'll say that's a tzaddik. Right? Because Benini are perfect people. So what differentiates the Benini and the tzaddik? What's going on inside? The feelings. The Benini struggles and always wins every struggle, always gets every struggle right. But internally, the animal soul very much voices their, their opinion. And we'll be learning a lot about the Benini. So, again, so the Benini is someone who does it all right, but there's an internal struggle because internally, the animal soul and godly soul are both alive and well within the Benini. The Tzaddik is someone who doesn't feel the struggle. That's the basic point 
A tzaddik is someone that internally also the godly soul has won the battle. Not just in their expressions, not just in their actions, not just in their thoughts and speech, but the tzaddik has won the battle internally as well. Yet, and this is what he's saying here, even though the tzaddik has won the battle internally and therefore doesn't feel a struggle, the tzaddik doesn't wake up and have a desire to do an Avera and overcome it. The tzaddik doesn't feel a desire to do Avera, ever, period. And yet there are these two levels, distinct levels within tzaddik. Again, the person who never feels a desire to do anything wrong, there's still a difference. One doesn't feel it because that desire has been overpowered, is nullified. It's like if you have a tiny drop of uh, milk in a big pot of uh, chicken soup, it remains kosher if there's enough chicken soup to nullify the milk, right? What's the numbers? 60. 60, right? One is 60. It's nullified. But there's still a little bit of milk there. It's just nullified. So in the imperfect tzaddik, there's still a little bit of unholiness. It's just nullified, therefore never expressed and never felt. The perfect tzaddik, there's nothing left. There is no milk. There is no negative desire. There is no nefesh abahamis. It's all been transformed to kedusha. So where could one see the difference between the imperfect and the perfect tzaddik? Both of them don't feel a struggle. Both of them don't feel any negative desire or feeling at all. How can one tell within themselves if one is a perfect tzaddik or an imperfect tzaddik? Again, if, if even internally, they, neither of them feel a struggle. So Tanya says that the difference is going to be how much do they hate bad? How much are they disgusted by klipa? The Pasik says, Ohave Hashem Sinura. We say it in Davening Friday night. It's from Tehillim. That the more one loves Hashem, the more they hate that which is bad. The more one is fully in only Kedusha, so something that's not Kedusha is going to be repulsive to them. Um, he talks about Sina, which is hatred. He talks about Mius, which is disgust. The more one is perfect in their Kedusha, in their love for Hashem, the more they'll feel a hatred and a disgust for something that's negative. David HaMelech writes in Tehillim, he says about the, the evil people, he says, Tachlis hasina sinesim. I hate them with the ultimate hatred. The evil, the evil within them. Because he came to a place, David, where there was no klipa within him. As David HaMelech himself said, that through the fast and so on from his tshuva, he came to a place where he totally killed his, his Yetzirah. He says, Libi bekirbi, my heart is hollow within me. Through the fast that David HaMalach did to do tshuva, he was able to reach that level of tzaddik where there was no negative. If there was zero negative, so there was no feeling, no positive feeling towards it whatsoever. And that is the, that's the perfect tzaddik, who doesn't have any negative whatsoever anymore. It's all been transformed to Kedusha. So the tzaddik... Talk louder. Because so the, the whole world's listening. Okay, so the tzaddik <laughs> hates the evil, right. but loves the person. That's something else. Yeah, because because the tzaddik sees that the person is never evil. The evil is a power within the person. The tzaddik hates evil with totality, because the tzaddik has no connection to evil whatsoever. So has no place for it. Has no room for it. When we when we don't hate something, it's because we there's some level of consideration for it. When something is 100%, we have no consideration for it, that's what hatred is, or that's what disgust is. Because it's, it's meaningless to us 1,000%. One, one, 1, so the, one, the, the holier one is, the more that which is bad is repulsive to them. 
right? So the difference, as he says here in Tanya, between the tzaddik gomer, the, the perfect and the imperfect tzaddik, the difference to find it would be in their level of feeling that um, repulsive feeling or hatred or disgust to that which is unholy, that which is against Hashem. Okay? So that is the tzaddik gomer, the, the perfect tzaddik. The imperfect tzaddik, as we said, has still a trace of bad. But how much? So he says, for that, there could be tens of thousands of levels. You know, when you say something is nullified, how nullified is nullified? So if you have one in 10, one in 20, one in 100, one in 1,000, one in 10,000, these are levels of nullification. And therefore, he actually quotes a number of fascinating Gemaras and, and, and Zohars that talk about all different types of tzaddikim. And these are tzaddikim, holy people. But still, there's many, many different levels. And I'll, I'll give you a little bit. He brings from a, um, an interesting Gemara in Masechta Sukkah. And that is a teaching of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Now, of all the tzaddikim and the Jewish people, and we have many tzaddikim, there's probably no one who is as, uh, I don't know, no one, but one of the very few people as accepted in his level of Kedusha as Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the author of the Zohar, really the teacher of Kabbalah, um, he's the, you know, Lagba Omer on his, uh, his gravesite is the great celebration. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, he says, I've seen, I've seen people b'nei aliyah. B'nei aliyah literally means higher people. And we'll see, we'll, we'll, um, we'll analyze that description in, uh, shortly. But he says, the truest tzaddikim, he says, v'hein mu'atin, they're very, very few. There's very few, even in the times of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who's one of the sages of the Mishnah, he says there's very few. He says, he says, if there's a thousand, then myself and my son, Rabbi Elazar, are part of them. If there's only a hundred, we're part of them. If there's only two, it's myself and my son. Rabbi Shimon Barichai, who is this perfect tzaddik, and sometimes won't read this, oh, that sounds a little bit, you know, pretentious. But Rabbi Shimon Barichai is in that place, in that level. And again, there's no one in our history, really, that has that level of kedusha ascribed to him, um, at least from those generations like Rabbi Shimon. And then the Gemara discusses and says, really, could there be only two? Didn't Rava say that there's 18,000 Sadiqim standing before Hashem? And it brings a Pasuk to, uh, to um, support that. So the Gemara says, no. He says, yeah, it's true. There's 18,000. That's on one level. Those are people who see Hashem, but through, a, um, through like a tinted glass, a colored glass. They're not able to see with perfection, holiness. But those who see Hashem with the, what's called the Aspaklari Hamira, a shining glass, where there's no, um, there's no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? No blockage whatsoever. They have that clear view and relationship with Hashem. That there doesn't have to be 18,000. That there's much less. So the Gemara says, but still, there's 36, isn't there? And there's a Pasuk for that, that there's 36 Sadiqim of generation. So the Gemara says, yeah, but those 36 have to ask permission before they enter the heavenly chambers. And then there's those who, who enter without any permission whatsoever. And this is a... Um, you know, one of those uh, mystical Gemaras. But the Gemara is telling us about different levels of Sadiqim. So this Gemara itself, we have the 18,000, which is one level. And the Gemara says that they see um, their, their relationship with Hashem is some, through some level of tinted uh, mirror, so to speak. And then there's the 36, but 36 that have to come, um, that, you know, with permission. And then there's the B'nai Aliyah. He said, those who are the ultimate high level, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai says, indicating that there might be only two, which is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai and his son. That is that Gemara. Now, there, there's two at the bottom. There's also different places in the Zohar and Gemara that talks about that there's one Tzaddik in a generation called the Tzaddik Yisod Olam, the foundation of the world. And here alone, here too, we have a story, again from Rav Shimon, Bar Yochai, in the Zohar. 
a fascinating story. I'll read it to you. I mean, it's, it's in Aramaic, so I'll, say it in, I'll translate it in English. But the Gezara says that one day Rabbi Shimon Barichai was walking with his son and he saw that the world became very, very dark. So Rabbi Shimon tells his son Rabbi Elazar, and remember, Roshimah and Rabbi Elazar are those who spent 12 years in a cave, right? They're people who live on miracles. So he tells Rabbi Elazar, he says, let's go see, something's going on, something's wrong in this world. And they go out and they see an angel and the Zohar describes the angel. And Rabbi Shimon says, what's going on? What are you doing? So he says, well, I've been, I've been sent to destroy the world because there isn't even the basic 30 holy people that have to be in the world to keep for, for their, for, that the world should exist in their merit. Um, because that's what Hashem told Avraham Avinu, brings a Pasuk, something about 30. Okay. So Rabbi Shimon says, no, no, I, I'm not having any of this. He says, do me a favor, go back to Hashem and tell him that you met Bar Yochai, the son of Yochai, and he's in this world and the world is fine. The world can go on. So, the Malach, the angel, goes back to Hashem and he says, Master of the world, he says, I don't have to tell you that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai sent me to you and you know what he said. So Hashem tells the angel, he says, don't listen to him. He says, go destroy the world and don't listen to Bar Yochai. Just do, what I, just do my bidding. And the angel goes back to the world and Rabbi Shimon sees the angel and he says, don't go. He says, if you go to fulfill your mission, he says, I will decree upon you that you should be forever lost in the places of Azza and Azoil. Doesn't say what that is, but doesn't sound like good places to be. And when you come back to Hashem, tell him that even if you don't have 30 people in the world, there's 20. And he brings a first that 20 is enough. And if you don't have 20, there's 10. And if there isn't 10, tell him, I'm here. I'm sorry, tell him, I'm here with my son. There's two witnesses, that's enough. And if that's not enough, he says, I'm here. And tell Hashem, it says, Sadiq Yisod Olam, in Mishle. He says, when he did that, so a heavenly voice comes forth from heaven and says, um, how, how great is your chelik, Reb Shimon, that even though Hashem decrees above, you have the ability to nullify those decrees down here. As we say in Ashrei, Ritzon Yirei of Yasa, that Hashem fulfills the Ritzon, the desire of those who are closest to him. That's that uh, section of the Zohar. Point of that section is that, again, there are all of these levels in Sadiqim. There was the 30, there was the 20, there was the 10. There was, you know, coming down to the ultimate, and then there's the Sadiqim Sodol, which is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. I believe that I said the story over here recently. That the Baal Shem Tov, who lived in Mezhubush, and he was the founder of the Hasidic movement, one time was sitting with his Talmudim, with his disciples, and he suddenly says, we all have to uh, rip our garments because the tzaddik of the generation passed away. And who's that tzaddik? He said, it's the Or HaChaim, who lived in Israel. Reb Chaim Ibn Atar, he has the, um, he has the commentary on the Chumash called Or HaChaim, very famous tzaddik who lived in 300 years ago. And the Baal tells the disciples, he just passed away and therefore we, should, um, we have to mourn his death. And one of the disciples asked the Baal how do you know? Which just sounds like an odd question to ask the Baal Shem Tov, but that's what he asked. Like, I mean, but you get a text? How do you know, right? Mm -hmm. So the Baal Shem Tov said, he said, there are certain secrets of the Torah that are revealed only to one person in a generation. And they were just revealed to me. So I know that the one who it knew it beforehand is not here anymore. So that's how the Baal Shem Tov, the Tzadikim, had that type of uh, relationship. He said he knew. He, he just heard things. He just found out things that only one person knows. He knew he didn't know it until that point. So he knew that the Tzadik passed away. And obviously they found out sometime later that the Arachim had passed away in Eretz Yisrael at that time. Okay, 
So we have these two levels of tzaddikim. And again, I, I want to go back to what I was saying. This chapter of Tanya is quite unusual because the, the majority of Tanya is for the regular people to do our avoda. And yet we have this chapter devoted to those who perfected that avoda. They're the tzaddikim that Hashem creates in the generations who become the teachers and are there to inspire and connect us to Hashem and help us do our avoda correctly. And that's, of course, the tzaddikim, the rebbe's of the generation. Um, so this chapter is devoted to that. So another step. He says, those, if we remember, the wording that Reb Shimon Barichai used when he said, I see the Sadiqim who are very, very few, the words he used were the B'nai Aliyah. Literally, B'nai Aliyah means the people who are very high. Aliyah is like Elyon, the people who are very high, at a very lofty level, and those are very, very few. What's the reason they're called B'nai Aliyah specifically? What's behind that phrase, that uh, term? That they're the B'nai Aliyah, the people who are high, literally. So the Alter Rebbe gives two explanations here in this chapter of Tanya why they're called B'nai Aliyah. And one explanation is because they have totally um, um, brought a state of Aliyah to every part of their being. right? Because basically the story of, of this world is the story of trying to elevate that which is not holy. And everything we do is part of that elevation. But most of what we're elevating is we do a mitzvah, so we elevate the thing that we do the mitzvah with. Um, if we eat, partake in food, l'shem shamayim, it helps us learn Torah and do a mitzvah and so on. We give tzedakah, um, we go to work and we use the proceeds for kedusha, for tzedakah, for chinuch, whatever it is. So we're using it for a mitzvah and we're bringing aliyah and kedusha to everything around us. But there is bringing and um, elevating the world around us. There's elevating ourselves. And there's elevating our own negative impulses and desires and feelings and so on and so forth. So the ultimate, who's the person who is the ultimate B'nai Aliyah, the one who elevated everything? That's the tzaddik. Because the tzaddik took that nefesh abahamis, that, that, um, neg- that negative or unholy part of themselves, and totally transformed it 100%. And that's why the tzaddik is called the B'nai Aliyah, the one who was totally... Oh, Myla totally elevated and brought ascendancy, brought Kedusha to every aspect of that Sadiq's being. Right? That's the first explanation for the idea, for the words of B'nai Aliyah. And to, um, and to bring that out, again, he brings one more teaching of the Zohar that I'm going to read to you here. And, he, and that talks about one of the sages of the um, Gemara called Rav Chia. Rabbi Chia was one of the great sages of one of the Tanoim, actually one of the sages of the Mishnah. Um, in fact, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi was the one who writes the Mishnah, which is the first work of the oral tradition. And Rabbi Chia writes other things, like the Tosefta, other books that came out in that same era. This is all before the Talmud is even written. But the Gemara talks about, um, not the Gemara, the Zohar. In the Hakdama, in the introduction to the Zohar, it has a whole piece about Rabbi Chia. And Rabbi Chia is talking about the greatness of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai again. And Rabbi Chia is crying and he's going with Rabbi Yosei and Rabbi Chia talks about, he's, he's very upset, it's after the passing of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and he's crying and he's mourning and he says, he curses the ground that how could the ground uh, take in, swallow or, or, you know, the bodies of the great tzaddikim like Rabbi Shimon and others but then he comes to realization, he says that the um, tzaddikim's uh, body remains intact and the ground doesn't uh, have any uh, do- uh, ownership over them. Anyhow, Rabbi Chia misses Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. He wants to see him. 
But Rabbi Shimon has passed away. So he wants to see him in a heavenly um, vision. So it says Rabbi was coming, was going and he was crying with Rabbi Yosei and other of the sages. And he fasted for 40 days in order to be zoch, in order to merit to see Rabbi Shimon. Um, and from heaven he was told, no, he says, you're not on that level. He's in a place that you can't go. And even though you're a great, Rabbi was a great tzaddik himself. But to, to reach that area where Rabbi Shimon Baruchai is in Gan Eden, that was something that he couldn't do. It says he didn't stop. Bacha, he cried, He fasted another 40 days. So after 80 days of fasting, they said, okay. And they brought him in. They, they allowed him to see, to have a vision. And I don't know if it means physically he entered. Actually, I think that according to the commentaries, uh, commentaries there, he physically was brought into that place, whatever that means. And um, he sees Rabbi Shimon, he sees Rabbi Lazar, and they're studying Torah. They're studying the words of Torah, and he sees that thousands and thousands are listening. The Shamas and souls and angels are listening to the teachings of Shimon in Gan Eden. As he's watching, he sees great wings come. And again, these are all spiritual visions. And they bring Rav Shimon and Rav Lazar to a higher place. In Masifta Dirakia, in the, in the study halls in heaven. And everyone's waiting for him. And there's all this pomp and this seminar, uh, ceremony. And he sees that there's new chidushim, they're bringing out new nuances and teachings of Hashem and the secrets of the Torah, and there's light that's shining from them like the light of the sun. And he hears, and he hears a heavenly voice that says, don't look. He says, you, he says, you can listen, but don't look because it could be dangerous. It's, it's too powerful for a human being, someone who's still alive, to be able to uh, see, to, to receive these things. And then it says, he says, in order to come here, who are those who have totally transformed from dark to light? And totally transformed that is bitter and made it into sweetness before you were able to come to this level. And that's the, that's the quote that the Alter Rebbe was looking for in that Zohar. That Rabbi Shun Bar Yuchai, who as we're seeing was considered this ultimate of the Sadiqim, as we said down to the Bnei Aliyah, the highest levels and the level of two or one and so on. So it says, what was the defining attribute that they, that they said in order to reach this place, they said, people who were able to totally transform the dark into light and the bitter into sweet. And that's the first reason why these ultimate tzaddikim are called the Bnei Aliyah, because they've undergone the ultimate, ultimate transformation. Right? In general, we talk about in Zohar, and it's brought in Hasidus many times, two terms. There's the term of ishabcha, which means transformation, versus the term of iskafya. Iskaf, these are Aramaic terms. Iskafya means su, um, to subdue. Huh? To subdue, to... Uh, what's another word for subdue? Um, why aren't words coming to me today? Uh, to push down, to... No, help me. Uh, when a person has a negative feeling and they subdue it, they subjugate it, push it down, right? So that's, there's Iskafya versus Ishapcha. Trans, trans, transforming is when I don't have the problem anymore. It's all good. But I don't have that negative desire. Subdue means I have a negative desire. I won't do it. Right? That's, the two, that's the two general. So our avodah really is always either iskafia or ishapcha. When we're doing a mitzvah, when we're overcoming a negative an avera, it's either because I'd like to do the avera, but I subdue the feeling, or I've transformed it. I don't want that anymore. I only like, you know, I've, I have a finer taste than that. I don't like Averas, or this Avera anyway. I've transformed that negative desire, right? Most people have to deal a lot with Iskafia, which is subduing. And, you know, I might want, but I'm not going to do it. I might be lazy, but I'm going to push myself. So that's Iskafia. The Tzaddik is the one who reaches perfect Ishapcha, perfect transformation.
when they stop desiring the negative whatsoever, when it's been totally transformed to good. Now, every person in their life has a little of both. Every person can also grow and transform certain negative habits. We can transform certain things, but most people will always still have to work with things and still have to subdue even as they transform. The tzaddik represents the perfect transformation. The tzaddik, by the time the tzaddik is through, there is no more desire for that. That's not a thing anymore. As we said earlier, it's, it's disgusting to the tzaddik. These negative desires that other people struggle with to the tzaddik is disgusting. And again, I think everyone in their own life in small ways can have that for this or for that or for the other, and the tzaddik is the perfection of that. So that's what the Zohar was saying over here when it tells Rebchia, when Rebchia hears this heavenly voice, you want to come to this place in Gan Eden? That comes from total transformation, the bitter to the sweet, the, uh, the, um, the dark to the light. When one reaches that perfect transformation, that's the ultimate tzaddik, then they're comfortable in the presence of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Is there a rule book to go from um, subjugation to transformation? Subjugation, that was the word I was looking for. Okay, yeah. You used it. Oh, did I? Yeah. Okay, so I found it. Okay. Um, <laughs> at some point I was looking for it. Um, is there a rule book? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect transformation is something that's the realm of the tzaddik. Most people are not ever going to be tzaddikim, aren't meant to be tzaddikim. Right? That's not, Hashem didn't create a world for tzaddikim. There are those tzaddikim that are there as those you know, beacons of light for everyone else. Most people aren't going to reach that place of perfect transformation of everything. Yet, little by little, yes. And Tanya, is gonna, we're going to talk about that in the, in the subsequent chapters. In other words, and I think it's a practice. We all know that there are certain things that are a certain point in life, life we may have struggled with. And as we worked on it and sort of got used to it, that struggle stopped being such a big struggle. We were able to overcome that battle. Typically, and we find a new battle to battle. But, but there are little, there's, you know, little areas where we're able to graduate one battle and move on to another. And that is a mini ishapcha. It's a transformation of sorts, just not the full transformation. Right? In fact, it's, it's, it's interesting, it's written in some places, that even though we talk about the perfect tzaddik and the, perf- and the Russia and the Benini, in a small way, everyone contains all those levels within themselves. There might be certain areas that I'm a tzaddik in. Like in that area, I'm, I'm good. I, I don't struggle with it. I don't deal with it. For other people, it's a terrible struggle, but, you know, Baruch Hashem. I, I, so I'm like, I'm like a little mini tzaddik in that area. But the real tzaddik is the one who's that in every area. That's the fullest transformation, and most people are not expected to be there. And the tzaddik started as baby. Or even less, right? As a struggler, right? Right. Typically, I mean, you might have a concept of certain tzaddikim that they were sent to this world holy already in order to be guides for the Jewish people. It says like Moshe Rabbeinu, for example. When he was born and his mother opens the, uh, sees the child, she sees that light is flowing from his face, right? Vatera, she sees how he's good and the Nismala Habayis Ora, the house is filled with light when he was born. So he was, his neshama was sent to this world just as a beacon of light. I don't know if he had to struggle to get anywhere. I don't, I don't know the answer. But the way the, the Tanya describes the tzaddik, it's someone who struggles and, and reached that place and, and was given the ability to reach that place of total transformation. Okay? All of that is one reason why the perfect tzaddik is called B'nai Aliyah. Right, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai's words, the people of Aliyah, because they fully transformed that negativity. The other reason, and he finishes the chapter with this, is because everything they do is for the sake of Hashem. Meaning, even when we talk about spiritual, doing mitzvahs and doing the right thing, many times we're doing it and it's wonderful, it's good to do mitzvahs for whatever reason. But many times it might be for my own gain. 
because I want to be holy, because I want to be connected, because I want to be more refined, because I want to be a bigger tzaddik. That's, that's okay. But that's not the ultimate way to serve Hashem. The ultimate tzaddik has only one quest, and that is that Hashem's will be fulfilled. That Hashem's will be fulfilled, that Hashem's purpose and Hashem's mission. So it's not that in order that the tzaddik is not doing it in order to be a tzaddik. Because I want to be a tzaddik, because I want to be in Gan Eden, because I want to be close to Hashem, because I want to be special, because I want to help people. The, perf the perfection of the tzaddik is that it's all 100% selfless. So it's because Hashem wants this, because Hashem needs this, because this is Hashem's desire. So therefore, this Isaac is devoting themselves to this mitzvah, and to this Torah, and to the and, and, and to Kali Yisrael, and so on and so forth. It's all, in the words of the Tanya, letzorech elyon, letzorech gavoa. It's all for Hashem's will, and that's all part of the totally selfless nature of the tzaddik. So that's the other reason he says why the tzaddik is called bin, the ultimate tzaddik. It's called bnei aliyah, those people who are. People of, of Aliyah, of Elyon, of Highness, because their entire avoda is not for their own personal desire, need, even spiritual desire or need. Right? Many times when we talk about Ahavas Hashem, what are we talking about? I, I want Hashem because I want to be close to Hashem, which is a wonderful feeling, but it's not fully selfless. It's spiritual. It's holy, it's a lot better than what most people want, but it's still because I like it, because it's so meaningful to me, because it's so important, it's so, it's so wonderful, I love it. And, and a tzaddik does love it, but that's not the motivator. That's not the driving factor of it. And that's why a tzaddik, the real tzaddik, will sometimes put aside their own spiritual gain to do what Hashem needs to be done. Sometimes there's actually a conflict between spiritual gain and fulfilling Hashem's will. Because sometimes Hashem needs something done which might require of the person to not grow spiritually today, but rather to devote themselves to the needs of another or do something for Klal Yisrael or for the Jewish people, whatever it is. And they might have to put away their own spiritual gains and studies and davenings and connections to Hashem. And that comes from the selflessness of the Sadiq. And that's the second reason why the Sadiq is called B'nai Aliyah, those people that are fully focused on the Elyon, on the divine. And again, bringing that back to us, Again, most of us are not perfect tzaddikim. I'm just saying that because I don't want to insult anyone. But that most, most people aren't, right? Um, but still, the concept is something that holds true for ourselves as well. That sometimes we are called upon to act selfless in a sense of even foregoing a spiritual gain to fulfill what Hashem needs to be done right now. Like, for example, sometimes uh, someone needs help and, and one might have the opportunity to grow more on their own Torah study or davening or whatever, but it's time to close the sitter and, close the, and just help that person with what they need. And maybe spiritually the person is not feeling that type of connection at that time and yet they're putting it aside for Hashem's will. So again, it's something that we can practice in small ways all the time and yet the one who does that to perfection is the tzaddik. And that's how he finishes the chapter with this idea. So this is the Tzadik Gomor. So in, in summation, what we have in this chapter is, oh, it's all about Tzadikim. Because everyone who was discussed in this chapter is a person who internally doesn't feel a struggle anymore because there, any bad that's there has been totally subjugated, totally bottled, totally nullified, right? But within that alone, we saw that there's all these different types of levels, the Tzadik, which is incomplete, the Tzadik, which is complete, the one that's totally disgusted and repulsed by bad, the one who isn't. And ultimately, as we narrow it down to the Bnei Aliyah, the highest levels of Tzadikim that have totally transformed everything, their avodah is totally selfless, this is the chapter of the Tzadik, the perfect Tzadik. And in our own little lives, when we are able to touch that in small ways as well. 
And that is the one who was given the two souls and one soul was totally able to overcome, subjugate the other soul to the point where this person becomes the tzaddik. In the flip side of that is the next chapter, chapter 11, we'll work on next week, God willing, and there we're going to talk about the Russia, when, it's, when the other soul is victorious in battle. Um, this, this, today's chapter is much more happy, um, but we'll talk about that as well, and all of that is a segue into the Benini, chapter 12, which we'll get to then, Bezrat Hashem.